Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. On this episode of The Process, we talk with Michael Drews about his pieces Death of the Mechanical Man and End Times. So let's talk a little bit about guitar. Okay. When I think of you um, as an artist, I think about your interaction with electronic music, but I always see you with your guitar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, first couple of times I've seen you perform, there you were with you and your guitar. I've heard that guitar, that sort of Ebo-ish kind of effusive mm-hmm. or diffuse rather uh, guitar sound. So how important is guitar in your creative process? Is that what you grab the guitar first? Let me give you just a little bit of background about the sure. guitar for me in me. Sure. So when I was in high school, that's all I did. That was my entry into music was playing electric guitar. Uh, I played in rock bands and eventually decided that uh, I would become a music major <laughs> without really knowing what I was getting into. I could barely read read music, I think, at the time. I started college doing uh, classical guitar. Maybe by my second year, I figured out that I'm more interested in creating things than than I am being the performer under the spotlight. Uh, So I switched to composition. And gradually, by the time I got to grad school, I allowed myself to be talked out of playing the guitar anymore, that that somehow was not a instrument that was belonged in the classical composition world. Ooh, so I, I okay. didn't I didn't play guitar all through sure. grad school. And then when I moved to Indianapolis, I didn't play guitar then uh, either. Always feeling awful ab- about it. Yeah. And then in Big Robot when we start started out, I was the laptop computer guy. I still yeah. didn't play any guitar. Yeah. And eventually we had the idea like, well, why don't you play your guitar a little bit? Mm-hmm. And uh of course, I was interested in doing that because I felt this was this uh, this great uh, wrong that needed to be righted, that I needed <laughs> yeah. to get back to my guitar. Yeah. And so I started playing it, and I was pretty shaky. I wasn't sure of how to connect guitar playing to this world of um, experimental electronic music. You know, yeah. like, should I just uh, start playing? 
playing solos or something. It just <laughs> yeah. it, it seemed yeah. cheesy, you know? Yeah, is it going to turn into progressive rock? Like, is it just going to become exactly. a, a, a progressive rock song? 2012 was Big Robot's uh, first trip to China, and I brought that guitar uh, with me. And then since then, I I never leave home without it uh, in terms of playing. Mm-hmm. So now it absolutely is an important part of my uh, creative pro- process. It seems ridiculous that I wouldn't be... <laughs> Using it as a as a way to generate sound or to enhance a, a performance, um, I can't imagine not doing it now. The other side uh, of it is it's just way more interesting to watch someone play the guitar than it is to s- sit there behind their laptop. So there's that aspect. <laughs> like I I wouldn't go back to that. I agree with you on that. I think why is it more interesting to see someone play a guitar than performing on a laptop well i is it all cultural is it just we're used to hey here's a guy rocking on the guitar some of it i i think in large part because when we see someone play guitar we all have some kind of understanding of that there's a context yeah yeah, we we we, it's whether we like it or not it is connect we're connected to that in, in some way less so with the laptop Right, because it's a it's a newer medium. People are performing with computers and laptops all the time now. Sure, but it's less transparent to, as to what's actually happening. You know, when you're doing all this work that has all this kind of uh, st- strangeness and unfamiliarity to, to it, I think it's important to create some solid ground for the audience to let them in in some way. So then you can mess with them and show them all kinds of cool stuff. If it's just impenetrable, people can't get into it. And I think that's one thing the guitar does, is that it lets the audience in a little bit more. He's like end times. Mm-hmm. There's a strong visual component to that now, but you mentioned it wasn't conceived as a video piece. Right. So how does something that wasn't conceived as a video piece in your creative process, how does that become a visual piece? That's a very good piece to illustrate my technique. The audio of that came at least a year before. I, I almost need my website to check the sure what, what the, <laughs> the what the are. actual yeah, dates yeah. are. But in that piece, the first thing that I wanted to do was play around with dialogue from old movies. Eventually, I came upon this Perry Como mm-hmm. uh, CD, and I thought that sounds pretty weird. Mm-hmm. So I started playing around with it, and then I, I found that. Uh, until the end of time yeah. <laughs> song. When I ran that through my Max performance patch, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is fantastic. So, <laughs> so I, I just improvised on that for quite a while and eventually made a piece about it.
So it's funny, a lot of my pieces start out, I'm in the studio and I'm basically performing on some audio samples or, or what, what have you, whatever it is. For 90 minutes a day or an hour and 90 minutes a day, you're improvising every day. It's almost like you're going down to the basement to lift weights. Instead, you're going to your <laughs> studio space and you're sort of improvising, creating yes, every day. But I'm recording it and then I respond to it in some way. And I do do some more not improvised things sure. like decide, okay, now I'm going to put this beat or I'm going to make this chord and put this. So, sure. But that's the thing that that gets it going for for sure. And that's where the real good ideas come from. Then you fit it into whatever the, the boxes or whatever the the container is. But exactly. the, but the the original idea is this, oh well let me let me start messing around in here. Let me go right. in this direction. And then yeah. So in end times there's that piano sample. So that that's a sample that can be triggered, um, transposed in real time and then fed through delay line. So a lot the performance of that was about breaking up that piano line note by note and feeding it into de a delay line. So what you can sure. do is kind of like recompose different melodies sure. with that. And then, of course, you've got the great Perry uh, Como sample. That can get pretty weird, you know, yeah. throwing that in the yeah. mix. So I've played concerts just doing that, mm -hmm. um, improvising. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, those playing those concerts, you start learning. You're like, oh, this is what I should do with this. So that was pretty cool what I did last night. I should so it's sure. you kind of the act of performing and composing, they're they're really one thing. It's just a matter yeah. of is there people in the room <laughs> when it's when it's happening. Well, um, so how do you feel about this concept of there's a composer locked in his or her room? Uh, you know, for months on end, and they never see the daylight, and then they emerge with this masterpiece. Well, I've done that before. Yeah, um, written a masterpiece. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that's that's was grad school for me. Sure, where I would make this amazing, or what I thought was amazing, sure. finale score. Spend yeah. a year on it. Yep, and then have it played at the one concert. Sure. For a room full of composers, mm -hmm. and then that's it. Yeah. It's like a billion hours of work for nothing. Mm -hmm. This way is way better. <laughs> yeah. um, I compose ten to twenty times the amount of, of works that I did, did doing the other way, and they do stuff. People hear them, and I'm performing. It's 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 a constant thing. So I guess I'm okay with that. I just don't want to do it. For me, that's at the heart of all this. Is now where I am in life. I really can do whatever the hell I want. There's not a real like, well, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. You can't have your guitar. Mm -hmm. You can't call the piece Pliskin. You can't do it. It's like, what? why not? Mm -hmm. 
Why? Why can't? <laughs> so. well, why don't you? Why do you think that quote unquote your guitar was taken away from you? Why do you think it was taken away? Because I was insecure. I convinced myself that there were certain things that were valid compositional and music ideas, and there were certain things that weren't serious that didn't didn't belong. And this is something that happens to I think everyone when they're when they're younger when they start out. Sure. You know, for example, the nonsensical. Oh well, that music's tonal. It's not good. Yeah. What a crock. <laughs> what uh, the, that's like the worst crock baloney I've ever heard. Yeah. I mean, it's along those lines that oh, the oboe and the bassoon are very serious instruments. They are valid things that I can express with. The guitar, that's not serious. That does not belong. So mm. is that kind of thing. And of course, I did that mostly to myself. Sure. But um and it just took a while to to get the the confidence in what I was doing and just to not to not care, you know. I certainly do not care about what the rules are. <laughs> sure. Death of the Mechanical Man. Mm-hmm. What a huge undertaking. It was. <laughs> yeah. So for people who are listening to this and will hear an excerpt of that, I'm not sure still people will get a sense of the the just the tremendous undertaking that it was to to create. I've always been interested in in film. Always, always. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, coming out of my undergrad, that that was my plan was I was going to go to USC or something like that, move to California and try to be a film composer. And when I teamed up with my trusty colleague uh, Jordan Munson uh, from Big Robot. Uh, we had collaborated on um, a couple of video um, projects for Big Robot, for mu- basically music videos, kind of art, art piece music videos. And we had been basically ramping up towards uh, getting away from video art and more doing more film. And we did a piece called Noir uh uh, where we uh, hired an actor, we hired actors, mm-hmm. and if it, it was much more film than it was computer art, sure, and that fascinated me. Um, so I knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to do something a much larger scale uh, idea. I had set up some lights and a fog machine, mm-hmm. and I was letting my uh, young son and his and my uh, two nephews run around uh, <laughs> in the fog with all the lights. And I was taking pictures of them, yeah. and I took this one crazy picture. I mean, a lot mm-hmm. of people probably think it was a mistake, yeah. but it with the fog and the sure. chaos of the kids, it <laughs> looked like a robot. And there was something about that image I thought. It was like a, a dying robot, and 
I just started p- picturing this uh, narrative. Uh, it was actually the uh, the first scene in that Death of the Mechanical Man film is the astronaut wa- walking with the with and you can hear him breathing. Yeah. Like I just saw I just saw that scene, and then I just started making music that could go with that scene, and then from there. Uh, I knew I wanted to do a film component that had actors and sets and, you know, a big deal. And then I wrote some grants. And then one thing <laughs> led to another, and I teamed up with another uh, really important collaborator of mine, uh, Brian McCutcheon, mm-hmm. who's a visual artist here, here in Indianapolis. He stars in the film. He's the astronaut. But he also built a lot of the the sets and the prop, props and really expanded uh, the creative possibilities of what we could do in a project. Before that, I had never thought of, well, we could build this entire <laughs> set. We could build a robot. We could do all the, these things. So that project was was uh, life-changing on, on so many levels. I had never attempted a, a piece that large. So, tell so it was me, a mammoth thing, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the premiere of the piece, because I think everyone would be really interested in the idea on where this piece was uh, first performed. Well, it's a strange piece in that it's not a film, and it's not really just a, a piece of music. It's really uh, an experience of see, seeing the film, hearing the music, but also seeing it live put, put together. So there's a kind of theatrical element almost doing it in the abandoned city market catcombs uh which to me i was felt like my whole life has been leading up to up to the the the, this uh uh so i was uh, needless to say i wanted that to happen more than than anything you know it's one of those things like you're not supposed to be dragging all this like equipment down to this like filthy dungeon uh, uh, essentially and um but it was amazing it was like i i thought it framed the work perfectly i mean there was something just exciting about being in the um the space itself and then we're going to show you this piece of art uh, you know art I, I i think that that's you know uh goes to again what i was saying about uh giving someone a way in it's like you are you know, if you're really busy and stressed out and I say, hey, Doug, look at this piece, you're probably going to be like, yeah, 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 that, that looks pretty cool. Now, if I have you over my house and I have some cool lights and I say, well, I see something cool, and then I show it to it's like, you're ready for it. So I think that that catcombs thing set the table perfectly. It's like people were excited to already be down there. The fact that they're willing to come into this dirty catcombs, they were already expecting like, well, this better be weird. You know, it wasn't like they were like, that was too weird for me. You know, like, they, they, <laughs> it's like perfect setup. You so know? if they're willing to come down into a catacomb, then, yeah, they're willing to maybe uh, look at something that's a little bit more experimental. Or right, a little, a little bit different. more challenging. They are, you, you know what I'm saying? It's like uh, sometimes you're not in the mood for that, and you, and you can kind of put up um, some resistance to it, and it's just not as effective. But I think if you're if you're ready... And and that and you want that, then you, you know it, no one has to have any musical training or any any kind of particular background. They want to ha- have a provocative experience, and then that's that that's what good art should should do. And that's and for me, that's what I want to do. Is I, I want to I want to make things that can have that ability to connect with anyone. 
I don't want people to have to be composition DMAs to be interested in, in, in my music. Mm-hmm. And the, the other great thing about that was that event was everyone was just out there for fun. Like that, we're, we're seeing art because it's an enjoyable recreation thing that, that we That's so much more legitimate than what I was doing in academia where. And it wasn't just a traditional, um, you know, contemporary classical audience. It was just a mix of people. Exactly. Uh, some students, uh, this old couple came up to me and they said, uh, we're here for to see the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's the theater? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, you made it. You're here. This is the theater. And they were concerned because they're older. So they were concerned about seats. Right? right. You know, and I'm like, well, you know, you can, you know, just kind of stand and enjoy it and, and that type of thing. And I was like, oh, I don't think they're going to make it, you know, for, yeah, the, right. for the whole show. But sure enough, they were there for the whole experience and they were really enjoying it. Oh, another space movie in an abandoned mine. Yawn. You know, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Special thanks to Michael Drews. For more information about Michael and his music, visit The Noise Buffalo at blogspot.com. Join us next time when Drews discusses the creative cogitations. <laughs>